Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show, and thank you so much for tuning in here with me today. It is Monday, March the 16th on today's show. Well, there really is only one thing to talk about these days. I'm sure you've all heard your fair share of coronavirus talk, but what else am I really going to talk to you about here today? I mean, seriously, there are people out there who still are not taking this thing seriously because it still feels like a bit of a foreign concept. You know, it could impact you. There are more than 340 cases in Canada. Actually, as of Ontario numbers being added in this morning, we're up over 370 cases in Canada right now. Uh, So that's as of 9.09 here this morning. That seems like nothing, you know, when you compare it to our population of 37 million. But if that's what you actually believe to be the real number in this country, well, then you have another thing coming. Because here's the timeline for numbers in Canada just in the month of March. March 1st, here in Canada, we had a total of 24 reported cases. Four days later, March 5th, we're up to 47. Pretty much doubled in four days. Look ahead to Monday, March the 9th, four days later, 47 up to 78. Continues to see a pretty significant increase. But then, you know, over the course of this past week, so Monday, March the 9th was one week ago today. And here's the numbers since then. So Monday, we had 78. On of Tuesday, 96. As of Wednesday, 116. A day later on Thursday, a 35% increase to 157. On Friday, a 26% increase to 198 cases. Saturday, up to 253. And yesterday, those numbers were... We're at 341. No secret that it is rising at a pretty rapid pace. And who knows what that number will look like by the end of day today. As I said, you know, I'm doing this show right now at 9:10, and that number stands at 373 total cases. But we have not heard from the Freds or Province so far yet today. Uh, like I said, it's 9:11. The show does repeat here later in the evening, so that's why I'm stressing the time. We have not heard from BC since Saturday. Which, by the way, I found shocking that they did not give a briefing yesterday. Now, this does show, uh, like like I keep saying, you know, this briefing that BC has planned will take place today uh, prior to this show rerunning again at 6 o'clock. So I just wanted to reiterate that statement because I think it's important to say, as I'm saying this, these numbers will have changed by the time it is this evening. Now, numbers are increasing. They're increasing rapidly, like I had said. And let's remember, people testing positive today didn't just catch the virus today. I think most people out understand that. Most people out there understand that. I, I think that's the case. But, you know, think about those Canadian numbers. In a week, we went from 78 to 341, and we'll probably be over 400 by the end of day today. The federal health minister has said that this could impact anywhere from 30 to 70% of the Canadian population. Think about that, that number. On the low end, 30%, you're talking about 11 million Canadians being impacted or infected by this virus. Italy went from 20 cases on February 21st to 888 a week later to 4,636 a week after that to more than 17,000 a week later on Friday the 13th. And as of yesterday, was sitting at over 24,000 cases. This thing moves quick. We have talked about flattening the curve here in Canada a whole bunch. You know, we have heard our provincial and federal health experts talk about not traveling at all anymore if you don't have to. Um, that's just in general. And if you are traveling out of country, well, don't, don't do that. You know, if you just came back from anywhere outside of Canada, you are advised to quarantine yourself for two weeks. And if you aren't doing that, well, shame on you. Seriously, shame on you. If you're not taking this seriously and protecting not your health, but the health of those around you and the others inside your community, 
And you're the reason that this is going to spread and this is going to get a whole lot worse before it gets a whole lot better. Last week, we heard the mayor of Kamloops say in his State of the City address there will be cases of COVID-19 in Kamloops. There will likely be a fatality from the virus here in Kamloops. That was on Thursday, four days later. That statement honestly feels like it might be a bit overblown right now, but that's also part of the problem, right? We all want the mayor to be wrong. The mayor wants the mayor to be wrong, but there's a very good chance he isn't. We've heard it from others. But I'll say it again, social distancing needs to happen. Don't stop living your life, but be responsible when you go about doing it. You don't have to be worried about yourself. You know, I think there are people out there who are overly concerned about it as well. You need to be somewhere in between those, right? You need to be, you need to be concerned, but you don't need to be altering the way you go about living as a result. But you do need to take some precautions. That's the important message that everyone, I think, is trying to relay and the important thing that everyone is trying to say, right? I mean, when I'm talking about the numbers here, we're talking about 370-plus cases in Canada right now. Um, as of 9.13 this morning, the Prime Minister is set to speak here. Our BC health officials are set to speak here. Other provinces, I'm sure, will be speaking here throughout the course of the day. So that number is going to increase. And like I said, I expect it to be over 400. We went from 78 in Canada just about a week ago, and now we're talking about being over 400. We're on our way, folks. We're on our way. It's only a matter of time before these numbers are a heck of a lot bigger than we ever anticipated here in Canada. we got to look to our neighbors to the south to see how they're, you know, I want to say mishandling the situation right now. It's all about testing, right? We say the numbers may not be high, but that's just because people are not being tested and are not aware that they have the virus. That's a problem. And that's why we got to take these extra precautions, because you just don't know. TRU, Thompson Rivers University, is going the way of the majority of post-secondary institutions right now and switching to online learning, right? Not, uh, not taking those chances of having that face-to-face -face contact when you're talking about thousands, hundreds, if not thousands of students congregating in one, one uh, building or, or one campus. You know, that's, that's obviously a concern. Um, when you see major institutions taking that kind of step, when a major corporation like, uh, you know, the makeup store Lush closed all of its North American operations here, these are steps that hopefully, hopefully, trigger people to understand the seriousness of what we are doing. One person can infect many more, right? I think we all are aware of how that works. If you're worried you're sick and you want to get tested, and, you know, you go and you get a test, and there's even a chance that something may be off, stay home. Right? I think there are some people out there, and I think we've seen situations where this has spread because some people have said, I'm not feeling great, I'm going to go get tested. After they go get a test, they decide, well, what if it comes back positive? I better go stock up just in case. Well, now you're going to the store, and then you, all of a sudden you find out you did have it. Well, guess how many people you might have infected now? If you think there's even a chance that something is wrong, stay home. Seriously, stay home. If you think there's a chance that someone came into the office today who's, you know, you're not convinced is 100% okay, Make them go home. Make them. It's for everyone, right? I don't... Uh, it's just frustrating, this fact that some people are, are still trying to put this off as, you know, it's not, it's not going to impact me. Because it could. And you have no idea of knowing that, whether it be the case or not. You know, uh, coming up on today's show, I'm going to be talking about this when it comes to our senior population. I'll be chatting with BC senior advocate Isabel McKenzie to get a handle on how that situation is unfolding for that more vulnerable population. Right? Like, what is... The problems there. What are the major concerns? What are the steps that are being taken to protect those who are the more vulnerable in our communities? What's the message that's being sent to them? You know, if if uh, you know people are starting to self-isolate and cannot go to visit those, I mean, there's a concern about what they could have on people's mental health as well. So there's a number of concerns that I have with just how um, you know how how our seniors may be impacted 
by COVID-19. I'll also be joined later in the program by NL's own Kurt Appleby. He was in Arizona last week and has since returned over the weekend. Well, now, of course, as a result, he's stuck at home for 14 days. So I'll find out how his trip went, how his trip home went, and how he is planning to handle these next couple of weeks. Because uh, uh, things can get a little bit boring if you're stuck for 14 days by yourself. And coming up next, I will be joined by Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. She just returned from Ohio yesterday, one of the COVID hotspots in the United States. How was her journey home? How is having to self-quarantine for two weeks going to impact her work? And how could this potentially impact the court system as a whole? Well, I'll get into all of that here next, so stay tuned. More Jeff Andrea Show is coming up after this, so please stick around. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show, and thanks for tuning in with me here on Radio NL. COVID-19, of course, is impacting anything and everything right now, and uh, the court system is not immune. Here now to talk a little bit more about that is uh, Acumen Law's Kyla Lee, who actually just returned from a trip to Ohio herself. Kyla, thanks so much for joining me here. Thank you for having me. So, you just got back from Ohio yesterday, so I think it's safe to say you're probably in self-quarantine right now. I am 14 days inside my house. It's going to be an adventure. <laughs> well, before we get into sort of what you're going to be doing over the course of that time, I just wanted to ask, you know, how, how was the trip home? What were things like in the airport as you finally were able to make your way back to Canada yesterday? I was pleasantly surprised that the airports were not completely crowded. Um, and at the Chicago airport, where I had a, a long layover, there were measures being put in place um, to help people with social distancing. Um, the, I, I spent some time in the airport lounge, and there was no buffet of food that there normally is. Instead, they had you know prepackaged snacks that they would hand out to people. So um, they were taking steps in Chicago. You know, when I went through the border in Vancouver, not so much <laughs> really yeah because i would have expected you know at this point in time when we're, we're we're hearing from all our health professionals to if you're coming back from out of out of country to self-isolate you would think when you're coming off the plane that someone would be filling you in in case you have not necessarily heard all the up-to-date information about what's going on in canada you would hope that someone would be filling you in when you get off the plane but that that was not the case i guess for you it was not. All I was given was a pamphlet. I wasn't even told what it was. It was just shoved into my passport uh, after I went and spoke with the customs officer. And all it, it said was out-of-date information about, you know, you should self-isolate if you start to experience symptoms, which, of course, we know now is not the advice that governments are giving. Interesting. That is uh, interesting that they have not taken those steps. I'm sure they will soon, but that's... Uh not really soon enough, considering what they're saying to us right now. Now, I did want to ask, you know, you know you're going to be in isolation here for the next couple of weeks, 14 days. What does that do for you as a lawyer right now? I mean, to have to take two weeks off, I know you're still able to do some work from home, but you're not able to actually, you know, go to the courthouse and, and represent anyone. I mean, how is this going to impact you over the next couple of weeks? Well, it means that a lot of my trials have to be adjourned, and as soon as I heard about the self-isolation measure, I contacted prosecutors on all my trials in the next two weeks and said, here's a heads up about what's going to be happening on this uh, on this file, um, and I'm not going to be coming to court, so I hope you're going to agree to an adjournment. Um, but this uh, late last night, the provincial court actually announced that a lot more than just my trials are going to be adjourned over the next uh, six weeks. 
Yeah, so that, that was sort of my next point, is obviously this isn't just going to impact you. There are other lawyers in this province, in this country, who I'm sure have taken trips uh, outside of Canada in the last little while and have just returned to find themselves being asked to self-isolate for a couple of weeks. What is this going to do, I guess, you know, moving forward, when you are, in fact, able to go back to uh, representing clients and, and, and you know, being, being in trial, uh, there's a lot of people who are probably going to be looking to reschedule things around the same time. I mean, uh, the court system already can be somewhat slow when talking about the judicial system here in Canada, and this is only going to make things worse. So for anything that's being adjourned right now as a result of social distancing measures, which includes, at this point, all non-urgent out-of-custody trials, small claims uh, trials, family trials, all of those matters are going to be given priority when it comes to rescheduling. So the result is that we're going to see likely something of a domino effect, where one trial is going to bump a trial that's set for after May 4th, um, and things are going to be sort of pushed further and further into the future. The, the reality is that this will only have a short-term effect, and everybody in the justice system recognizes that this is a necessary measure. It's contemplated by the Supreme Court of Canada in their decision in Jordan about delay that in exceptional circumstances, um, you don't count this towards the amount of time that that hits that ceiling where things have to be stayed for violating the right to be tried in unreasonable uh, amount of time. Now, does this, uh, I, I was curious about this as well, and you know, it might sound like a bit of a joke, but I, I am genuinely serious when I ask this question. Are there people or are there, you know, situations out there where someone might look at the fact that, uh, you know, if, if something were to, uh, were to happen or I was to start feeling ill and I had a court case tomorrow that I'm worried about, I could just say, well, you know what, I'm not feeling great. I have to self-isolate for two weeks and push things off. Do you, do you foresee that being something that some people out there may, quote unquote, take advantage of and, and try to maybe abuse this um, initiative here a little bit? I think so, but I think we would rather have, you know, the few people out there who are going to try and say, you know, fake sick to get out of court. We'd rather have them doing that than people who are actually sick or people who are unaware that they're sick because lots of people could not be displaying symptoms and still be infected with the virus um, come to court and put others at risk. And at the end of the day, the protection of vulnerable people in our justice systems and preventing this from spreading into our jails has to be the top priority. If a trial is adjourned a few months because of that, that's, you know, who cares? Right, right. Um, with that also being said, you know, there probably is going to be instances where someone may um, be sick and decide they should still go into work or they should still, um, you know, go in for trial. Um, what, what happens there in that situation? What do you think, I guess, courthouses should be doing or implementing to try and keep people as safe as possible? Is there anything that they can be doing or, or changing um, in order to do that? Right now, the courts have issued a directive that if you're sick, don't come to court. You can contact the courthouse, you can let them know that you're sick, and your matter will be adjourned. So if you're displaying symptoms, do not enter the courthouse. Don't. If you want to go watch a trial as a member of the public, don't do it if you're feeling sick or if you're displaying any symptoms. Um, the reality is that courts have, um, just like any other you know, government-run organization, they have different levels of security uh, for issues like pandemics um, that rarely get used. Right now, 
they're set at a level two, which is basically, you know, we're making some modifications to our normal process. But if people are starting to come into the courthouse, if they're ignoring the directions that the court's giving, those levels are going to be increased. And eventually we might see either a complete shutdown of our court system or public members of the public being denied entry into courthouses, people having to appear by video instead of attending in person. And we don't want to have to get to that point. So it's best to just be respectful of everybody else. Um, with that in mind, and you, you brought up video conferencing, I guess, is that uh, a tool that could be pretty useful in times like this? Oh, absolutely. And we already have video conferencing that's used um, for people who are in custody where mm -hmm. they can connect via video conference from jails. That's now being used um, almost in all circumstances for people who are in custody to reduce the risks associated with transporting them, bringing them into the courthouse, um, all of that to try again to keep this from spreading to the jail population. Um, so, uh, you know, video conferencing, we can expand use of this. And lawyers for a long time have been saying we need to use more technology in our courthouses to increase efficiency this might in the end be the impetus that gets that done interesting yeah i guess you know there are, there is always some positives to take out of any sort of negative situation and uh yeah that that is a, an interesting point that this might uh, force people to take a, a second look at how things are operating now and find out what ways can uh, can be used what practices are being put in place now to see what's working well and make those changes accordingly because yeah like like you mentioned i mean there's probably a lot of instances where where technology could be used more effectively and it isn't now but this almost forces the hand to to make sure you're figuring out the best way to to go about using that technology that is available yes absolutely all right um so, well it's a, it's an interesting and crazy situation out there what are you going to be up to here for the next 14 days i mean that's a long time i know you probably have some work to do but you can't just be working the whole time can you no, I won't be working the whole time. Uh, I'm going to finally catch up on some, uh, some Netflix, I think. Um, I'll be spending lots of time with my dog, who's uh, outside so he doesn't bark right now. Um, and, uh, I mean, in the meantime of all of that, I'll work on some of my writing and some of my personal projects and film some chip tasting videos. Perfect. Did you bring any good flavors back from the States with you? I did. I've got two, uh, two new regional delicacies that I can't wait to try. All right. Well, I'll keep my eyes peeled to the YouTube channel and then see how good they are. Thanks so much for doing this, Kyla. Really appreciate it. Best of luck here over the next week and keeping yourself busy. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll check in with you next Monday. Thanks. Have, have a nice day. <laughs> yeah, you as well. That was Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Yeah, this uh, impacting everything. COVID-19, there's nothing, no, uh, you know, vein of our society that is not going to potentially be impacted by this thing. So uh, everything has to have protocols in place. There's a pandemic, um, you know, protocol in place, it seems, for every uh, little organization. So they'll have to follow it and see how effective it is and make their changes accordingly. So it's going to be interesting to see where things go from here. I think we're still... Uh, you know, we, we have clearly not hit our peak here in Canada, so it's just a matter of time. Anyway, let's take a break. We'll be back with more Jeff Andrea Show. I'll be joined by the BC senior advocate, Isabel McKenzie, after this. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show and thank you so much for tuning in here on Monday, March the 16th. Of course, the coronavirus is the talk of the globe right now and how is it impacting our seniors here in the province of BC? Well, I'm joined by the province's senior advocate now, Isabel McKenzie. Isabel, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Good morning, Jeff. 
So, first of all, I mean, maybe if you can give me just a quick sense of how, you know, you and your office are handling things right now. I mean, we've obviously heard a lot about how the senior population is one of the more vulnerable sectors of our society right now. Um, you know, just what, what is the concern or just how seriously are you guys handling and talking about this situation right now? Well, it is. We are handling it quite seriously. So needless to say, we're in constant uh, communication, consultation around uh, the public health issues and with our public health officer around the most vulnerable populations amongst our seniors, what's happening in our care homes, what's happening in home and community care. But I think we also need to look at the seniors in the community at large. We know that the seniors are going to be affected by COVID-19 on two fronts. First of all, we know that it is a much more serious virus for people over the age of 65 and particularly for people over the age of 80. So we really want to take extra measures around ensuring that the elderly in our community do not become exposed to the virus. And so there's measures around that. However, the seniors in our community are also going to be affected because a number of them receive uh, services and supports from people that are necessary. So they can't go into isolation and have nobody around them because they need somebody to help them do things like take their medications, prepare a meal, get things that they need into their house, into their home. And so we need to look and we're working very um, uh, diligently with a number of community partners with the United Ways Better at Home program with uh, home and community care around how are we going to support the biggest number of at-risk seniors, which are those living in the community where we have to find them and we have to get things to them. And we need uh, healthy people uh, who are able to help us uh, achieve that. And a big part of that, Jeff, is when we look at there's a lot that we as individuals, we, we want, I think we are coming together as a community. I think this is going to bring out the best of us as a society and as communities and how can we help. And one of the ways we can help is to make sure we reach out to any elderly person we know in our life, whether they are our neighbor, our friend, our mom, our dad, our grandma, our grandpa, and make sure that they're okay and they're getting what they need. And remember that as senior centers are closing around the province, as recreation centers are closing around the province, it's more important now than ever to make that daily call to not just check on somebody, but allow them to have that personal connection. A lot of people over the age of 80, particularly over 85 living in the community, are living alone. And so they need that other voice to help them feel connected and to take away uh, fear and anxiety. Is there any sort of advice, I guess, that might be given to seniors who are, you know, like you said, living in the community? They're not in a, in a care home or anything like that. They're just at home, and, and sometimes they have to go out to, you know, go grocery shopping and things like that. Is there anything that, you know, is being told to those people in order to keep themselves protected when they are leaving their homes? Is there any steps that they can take or extra measures they can take to, to make sure, you know, they're not, uh, you know, walking around with somebody who is um, infected but may not know it? 
Well, I think the important thing is to uh, mitigate our risks as much as possible uh, within uh, what we're being told are the proper protocols from our provincial health officer. And so when it comes to seniors who are more at risk should they contract uh, the virus, I think that you may want to rethink whether you want to go into the grocery store versus uh, ask somebody or or somebody has offered to buy your groceries for you or to order them online and have them delivered so that you're not unnecessarily exposing yourself. That's not the um, advice to the general public at this point in time, but I think we're talking about within the general public there is a population that the evidence shows is much more vulnerable to this virus, and so I think extra steps for that population, meaning seniors, uh, is appropriate. I think that um, the advice we're getting that applies to everybody, again, applying to seniors uh, with even higher uh, uh, rates of vigilance over making sure we wash our hands, making sure we wipe down uh, surfaces in our, our home. A lot of seniors use walkers. Make sure you're wiping down those uh, handles on your walker because you're touching them and maybe other people are touching them and that's how the transmission happens when you touch a contaminated surface and then touch your uh, touch your face. So you want to keep that surface as clean as possible. And do not put yourself in the in the company of people who are not feeling well. We the the current uh, medical evidence is that people are contagious once they show symptoms. And so if anybody uh, is coughing or um, complaining of feeling unwell or has a fever, just wait until those symptoms resolve uh, before you are in the direct company of elderly people again. Most people overwhelmingly won't have COVID-19 that are showing symptoms, but we don't know who will. 98% uh, of the people tested to date don't have COVID-19, um, but you don't know if you're going to be in the 2% that does. And in any event, irrespective of COVID-19, it's probably a good idea if you're not feeling well not to be around people who are going to be more susceptible to whatever illness it is that you're that you're uh, potentially suffering from. Yeah, that's a, that's a actually a really good point, you know, that those steps should be taken probably regardless of, of what the global situation is when it comes to a pandemic, right? If you have a cold, if you have a flu, you're probably advised to stay away from seniors anyway, so why would this situation be any different? Um, with that being said, you know, when talking about people who are in care homes, we've seen the outbreak a little bit in northern Vancouver at a senior home there. Um, you know, how concerning is this whole situation for that particular population? Because it clearly can, can get into those homes and spread pretty quickly. It can, Jeff, and it is, as can any influenza um, and other norovirus-type uh, outbreaks that spread very quickly. It's a real balancing act here. Uh, we have a, a provincial public health officer, and she is issuing the direction around what is appropriate at what point in time. And, and I think that that's what we need to remember, a couple of messages. Number one, um, the situation is fluid and it's changing daily. So what we're recommending today, 
may be different uh, from what we're recommending tomorrow, uh, that we may be accelerating measures as we move forward. So I think that's first and foremost to remember. And then I think the other thing um, to remember is um, every action has a reaction. And so we want to look, we've, we've put extra precautions for visitors. We are now very, very strongly saying if you're not feeling well, at all unwell, don't visit period until you've uh, symptoms resolve. If you've traveled internationally, do not visit until you have self-isolated for 14 days. Limit your visits to your loved one only. Don't visit other people's loved ones. Um, and limit um, the number of people visiting uh, uh, a resident um, in a particular day. Now those measures, the recommendations on those measures may change, but that's the current recommendation as of uh, 8.40 uh, this morning. And one of the things we need to remember is care homes are people's homes. And some family members are actually providing some of the care for people in those care homes. We know that family members go in to feed their loved ones, for example. Um, we know that they will often, it will be family members who are mobilizing people and getting them up and around um, and, and moving, which is very, very important. So we need to be careful um, about um, the consequences because we don't know how long this will last. There's a difference, Jeff, and I think people need to remember that. Um, the measures we're taking are not forever, they're temporary, but we don't know how long temporary is. So having no visitors for four days is different from having no visitors for six weeks. And so we need to remember that as we're um, implementing these measures that it it is a different, it looks different depending on how long these measures have to be in place for. And that's particularly true in care homes where the health of residents can change quickly irrespective of COVID-19. And we want to allow family members who are, um, whose loved ones are near end of life, for example, to be able to um, have the comfort of being with their loved one in that time of need. And I trust uh, in our public health officer and our public health system that we will navigate that balance appropriately um, to mitigate the risk to a high-risk population, but at the same time be compassionate uh, to the needs of everyone. Now, Isabel, clearly the, the physical health of people is the most important thing that we're talking about here right now. But when you're talking about those temporary measures where, you know, people may want to stay away and not visit someone for, uh, you know, a few days, whether it be four days is not as not as significant. But if it does get to the point where it might take a couple of weeks or beyond that, well, what does that do for people's, I, know, I probably don't need to even really ask because this is the same situation for anybody who wouldn't receive visitors for an extended period of time, but just how difficult can it be on your mental health, um, you know, if, if that were to be the case? And, and you know, is that a concern as well here when talking about, you know, people being isolated and, and not being able to have that social connection with anybody, especially when we're talking about our, our more senior population and, and uh, you know, they, their probably visits might be less and less already. And then to have those ones that come maybe once or twice a week um, taken away as well. I mean, what, what is the potential of concern in that regard as well? 
I think that there there is concern about that, Jeff, and I think um, in the community uh, the risk actually is higher because in a in a care home seniors will have people ab- ab- around them. They will have the care staff around them. Um, they will have that sense of security and that interaction. Um, at the moment, they will still get critical visits from their loved ones, and of course, um, they can connect with their loved ones by telephone. And there's there will be staff in care homes to help them with things like how do we Skype or FaceTime or mm-hmm. those sorts of measures. But in the community, uh, we have uh, you know uh, at any given time about 30,000 seniors in our on our home support program, um, and most of those people are living alone. Um, and we're limiting um, the amount of interaction. Uh, they will still get some interaction. But then there's the, the, the seniors out there who, um, they're, in a, they're in the risk category, uh, but really they are isolating themselves, and they're, um, they could be going with nobody uh, coming into their life physically for days and days, if not weeks and weeks, and that will have uh, an impact. Uh, and I think we need to think about that and how we're going to mitigate that uh, in a way that doesn't expose the at-risk population to greater risk, but also understands that there's a whole host of risks out there, health risks out there, of which COVID-19 is one, but there's other health risks as well. And you have to balance which is which is at the end of the day uh, more serious. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, Isabel, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me on this. It's uh, definitely something I think is concerning to everybody, or if it's not, it probably should be. And, um, yeah, just the senior population being one that uh, uh, does deserve a little extra attention every once in a while. And, and I thank you so much for, for bringing more attention to the issues that they could be facing as a result of this. Thank you so much for taking the time. Really do appreciate it. My pleasure, Jeff. Thank you. That was the BC Senior Advocate. Isabel McKenzie, yeah, so just kind of to go over what she was saying, you know, when it comes to COVID-19, there's a concern for people who are over the age of 70, particular, or 65, excuse me, particularly, though, for people over the age of 80, um, you know, and, and we obviously need people to go about uh, taking care of these individuals, so those who do receive home care and things like that, we still need people to do that, but make sure that you're healthy when you go about those activities. Um of course, one of the ways that people can always help is to reach out, make sure that your neighbor, if you have a, you know, a neighbor who may be a little bit older, give them a call, knock on their door, see how they're doing, see how they're feeling, do they need anything, make sure that they're doing okay and they have the resources that they need to get them through. Uh, more important than ever, of course, like she said, to make that daily phone call to check in. Uh, when it comes to those at risk, you know, you may want to rethink things like going to the grocery store. Just because you don't know who around you might be uh, infectious or whatever the case may be, you just, you know, you don't take those extra risks that you don't need to. If you can find a younger, healthy person to go to the store for you and pick up a few things, maybe uh, use that resource to your advantage. Uh, regardless of how you're feeling, you know, stay away from, um, you know, those, re- sorry, regardless of, of how you're feeling when it comes to illness, no matter what illness, whether you think it's COVID or something else, stay away from those senior homes and places like that, um, you know, doesn't matter if it's 
the virus or a different virus. Uh, we don't want anyone contracting anything at this point in time. Um, what we recommend today, we may not recommend tomorrow. That's a nice point that I think she made because that applies to people across the board, no matter your age or health. Whatever is being recommended today, well, that might be different uh, tomorrow. Even we saw last week with Bonnie Henry, Dr. Bonnie Henry here in BC saying, go ahead, go skiing, go to Whistler. And then, uh, what, 48 hours later, Whistler's closed down. So things are changing rapidly here. I don't need to tell you that. We are all aware. And we will achieve that nice balance of being cautious and compassionate in this time. So clearly, uh, you know, the senior population is on people's minds and they are being discussed. And I think that's very important to make sure that they keep them safe and uh, make sure they're doing okay. So there you go. There's some tips for you. If you have someone in your life who is an older individual, make sure you check in with them. Make sure you see how they're doing and see if you can provide any help for that person. All right. Well, what about people who are coming back from the States? We chatted with Kyla Lee here earlier in the program who just got back from Ohio. Well, friend of the show, actually, he's an employee of the show, Kurt Appleby. He's going to be joining me next. He just got back from Arizona. We'll see how he's dealing with things next. Listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Radio NL. It is Monday, March the 16th. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm joined on the line now by, of course, everyone's favorite guy on Radio NL, Kurt Appleby. Kurt, how you doing here today? Yeah, not bad, Jeff. I would not dispute that either. <laughs> well, okay, let's just get into, first and foremost, you just got back from Arizona. Obviously, there's uh, some steps being taken here uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, we're, we're safe from you here because we don't want to contract whatever Arizona disease you got. But, um, you know, just how was that trip itself? I, I, you know, was it worth it going down there for those uh, four days for you? Yeah, absolutely was. Um, no, it was. It, it's it's kind of tough to t take it all in, right? Like we've been planning this um, this bachelor party for for one of my best friends here. But since uh, about November, it was going to be perfect. A big sports trip, hockey, baseball, maybe some golf if we could could fit it in in between. And and uh, it seemed to as our plane was taking off, the the runway was crumbling in behind us, and we 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 got off just in time. And 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 when we got there, it, it was yeah, it was kind of a, a different world. And we were we were stuck on the news. It was definitely the the topic du jour as the the days went on. But you know, it was uh, none of the, none of that. Uh, those games came to fruition, and and there was some weather difficulties too as well. Uh, but uh, it was a great, great crew, and uh, we we still had a blast. Yeah, that would definitely uh, rattle my cage a little bit too. If you what you left here on uh, Wednesday, everything was pretty well normal at that point, and then while you're in the air, there's a, a pandemic, a global pandemic declared, and then uh, come the next day, there's no basketball, and then the next day after that, there's no hockey. So uh, that kind of ruined, I think, a lot of what you guys had planned while you were down there. But uh, you know, you tried to make the best of it, I'm sure, despite the, the crummy weather and the fact that you didn't have to didn't get the chance to go through all of your activities that you had scheduled. But you made the best of it, hopefully, while you were down there. But what was it like coming back? You got back here over the course of the weekend. How how was traveling through the airports for you? Uh, it was it was a breeze. You know, like we saw the uh, the the bare minimum get off the plane as 
as we're getting onto it, a uh, full full flight back, of, of course. But uh, back in back into Vancouver, it was the quickest I've ever gone through an airport. Uh, to be honest, if anybody's traveled through YVR and you're coming back from those American gates at the end there, it uh, it can take quite a while just to walk, and then you got to go through customs, and if there's a couple other flights getting off at the same time, it it could be difficult. But I think I was off the plane to outside in, in under 15 minutes, which is quite incredible. And and I got to ask a little bit about isolation here. I mean, you're going to be self-quarantined for 14 days. But one of the things we did talk a little bit about yesterday when I was chatting with you after you got back was just, um, you know, the people you were with, the people that do have kids and families and just they're going to come home. They're going to have to self-isolate as well. And, you know, there's some wives in, out there who are worried about being around them. So what what uh, what were you seeing from your buddies while you were down there when they were kind of getting the news and talking to their significant others that, hey, you know, I might not be able to be around you guys for a couple of weeks? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It got quite intense there for for a night. I think I was was uh, <laughs> uh, was the first one to get the call, and um, and, and the next day, it sort of the rest of them got that same call. And and you know, it's a bit of denial at, at the time where where they said, "Well, I, I don't need to. I feel fine, right?" But then they're getting the calls from their wives and and saying, "Well, you know, I'm pregnant, and we have a two year old, and and uh, I'm going to my parents, and I'll, I'll see you in a couple weeks." And uh, it got a little emotional, but uh, it, it wouldn't have done anybody any favors to uh, to sort of get down on that. And we just continued to have uh, another fantastic night. Um, you know, the, we're all from the same small town. Obviously, I'm up here now, but, you know, they've got each other. And I'm still, even as we're talking right now here, Jeff, watching the, our, our group chat go off. And, and these guys are doing such a great job of supporting each other. And, you know, they can all be around each other and, and go for drives and, and uh, and and whatnot, and, and sort of have that sort of support group, which uh, I'm super happy for for everyone because of that. Well, Kerb, we're out of time here, but uh, thanks so much for uh, for joining me. I'm sure I'll be checking in with you over the course of the next couple of weeks periodically. And um, you know, if you need anything, I'll, I'll try to be your your guy here, and well, uh, maybe I'll I'll bring you a jigsaw puzzle or two to keep you busy over the next while. I know you will, brother, anytime. <laughs> All right. here. Thanks so much, Kurt. That was uh, Kurt Appleby, of course, one of our producers here at Radio NL. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, a little bit tough for us here. We have to lose him for a couple of weeks. He'll do what he can to uh, make up some of that work. But, uh, yeah, always frustrating when, when someone's out of the office, someone you want to see a little bit more often. Now you don't get that chance. So best of luck, Kurt, and anyone else who is in self-isolation right now. Uh, it's going to be a... Probably a boring 14 days for you. So hopefully you got some activities to keep yourself busy. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And, of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.